that football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Motts, and we are on our PFF NFL Draft Show set for at least one show here, Sam. Yeah, we're, this is where we did the, the live draft coverage. The, uh, the background, we'll, we'll sacrifice our heads for this show so we can see the, what the setup was like in the studio. This is a um, cool look, too. So let's just roll right in. I have sat in this uh, high-top chair, though, for 22 hours. Quite a hours. long time, yeah. yeah. 22 hours of coverage this weekend. If you're, on, if you're watching on YouTube, go check out the shows. I'm sure you watched us all weekend anyway. But yeah, uh, we covered day one, day two, eight hours on day three, and just did a recap show here on Sunday. Right. I was only a day three pick, some uh, character concerns, but I've sat in this chair for quite a while, so I can't even imagine what your poor knees are, are going through. Yeah, I think, you know, poor decisions having you only on there till day three, but we'll, we'll discuss that another time. Um, so yeah, we are going to recap the entire draft. We're going wall-to-wall coverage, recapping the draft. And because we're long-winded, and we want to give every fan base the love that they deserve, even the ones that screwed it up, we're going to do two divisions per show. So this week, Sam, we'll do four shows. Okay. This is two bonus shows, so don't forget. We normally go twice a week. We've been going three times a week during a little bit of free agency in the draft. We're going to go four times this week, two divisions per. So today... One time offer. We're previewing the NFC West. That's right. We're starting with the West. Oh, people are going to be so happy. Well, they complain a, a small lot. group of people are going to be so happy. Everyone else is going to get pissed off. Don't give the tips away why we always start East to West. But the NFC West is first and the NFC East. So that's where we're going through today. So let's start in the West because the biggest decision in the draft started there mm -hmm. with the San Francisco 49ers at three. So over at PFF.com, I got to find our, our draft grades here. Usually I got a producer in my ear telling me, you know, I'm so used wow. to being on. on you just uh, got big time. I'm used to being on the live show all weekend. So get our draft grades out. What did we give the 49ers? I think it was a B or a B plus. But they take Trey Lance after all that discussion, Sam. They did. Um, and it was, I mean, it's always been a fascinating insight into what Kyle Shanahan believes is important in the quarterback position. And they went with Trey Lance. Um, it's funny, you know, people were saying, Mac Jones was the favorite, Justin Fields. Like at some point, all three of those guys were the favorite because nobody had any freaking idea what the 49ers were doing, including the 49ers, by the way. Like Kyle Shanahan and maybe one other person knew what they were doing. Everybody else in that building had no freaking idea. And that's why the reports were all over the place. It's why the betting market was all over the place. The information just did not get out. We but I to... would assume because this is where they landed and because of how much they traded up to make it happen – that Lance was always the guy. Here's here's the bottom line. Don't give me this conspiracy. Don't. don't it's do not it. even a conspiracy. That there are pretty good sources close to Shanahan Stop that this it. was a trade up for Mac Jones. Stop. And it. then as a consensus, as a 
unit, the San Francisco 49ers, scouting, coaching staff, decision makers, they all came together and, and landed on Trey Lance. You, you're telling me they traded three first-round picks to go up and tra take Trey Lance, and then somewhere along the Mac line Jones. watched – Sorry, uh, Mac Jones. Yes. And then somewhere along the line watched enough tape that they're like, you know what, no, let's pivot to Trey Lance. Correct. I believe that That's to be – madness those are the stories people are sticking to those are right. the stories. that's exactly what is the case and i believe that to be untrue all right well viewers hey, can uh, i give you another conspiracy theory by the yes. way i thought of this earlier what if all the, the the mac jones story was about making the trey lance pick more palatable right if you trade up from 12 to 3 and you draft trey lance everyone's gonna be like wow what a reach this guy's raw he's only got 320 dropbacks he's only played in the fcs this is a huge like bad decision terrible pick blah blah right but you've softened the ground with mac jones now it's like oh thank god it's george's reaction right oh thank god we didn't draft mac jones trey lance a great pick so the whole thing was just an attempt to soften the ground That's so the that they could pick conspiracy. the quarterback they want. I the, like that The one. first one is they love Zach Wilson, and they're going to talk everybody else up enough yeah. that the Jets let him fall. Then there's the, it was Mac Jones, and then somehow they got talked out of it. Well, between... there's a, and there's a third one. The, or there's a fourth one, I guess. The other one is that it was Justin Fields all along, and they didn't want to talk him up too much for fear of the Jets taking Justin Fields because they thought he was the best. But that obviously wasn't true. because That obviously wasn't true. But I'm saying there's a lot of a lot of theories. I here. like that one, though, don't you? The idea that it was like a... I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can buy that. Because, you know, there's no benefit to people knowing at three. Anyway, Trey Lance at three. What are your thoughts on the actual pick? Because if you were watching on the set here, uh, the PFF Live NFL Draft Show on Thursday night, there was a celebration amongst a lot of people here, but it was a lot of that was just based off the prop bets well, yeah. and not so much football reasons. <laughs> and the fact that it wasn't Mac Jones. Um, no, let, let me pitch it back to you because I think you are the person at PFF that is the lowest on Trey Lance. So you've been making this point all the way along that, look, it's not a slam dunk that he's better than Mac Jones or Justin Fields. And you actually have, um, you had both those guys rated above Trey Lance. So tell me why it's not a great pick. I just think Trey Lance is the riskiest, and, and that's just me playing the odds based off the data. I mean, if you look at – so it's still – we'll get to the running ability in a bit, but, I mean, it's still a passing game. It's still a pass-first game, and, and I know that Lance has so much in his arsenal that is going to mitigate any of his weaknesses, and, and one of which is Cal Shanahan now. Mm -hmm. But it is hard to ignore Trey Lance's accuracy percentage, five-plus yards down the field. 25th out of 29 qualifiers in this draft class, 40%. He's at, on those plays, 37% of his passes are uncatchable. That is fourth worst in this class. So, yes, we have recently seen Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, both guys who were similarly inaccurate in our throw-by-throw -throw numbers, and both guys have come good, right? Josh Allen, MVP caliber season. Lamar Jackson, actual MVP season. And then, the, you know, if Trey Lance is used in a similar manner to Lamar Jackson, I think he probably mitigates this as well, right? Because the rushing ability is so special. And you add that to the Shanahan play calling and play action mix and the whole deal. And Trey Lance will be fine, right? Because if, if the receivers are more open, it doesn't matter if you put it on the right shoulder or whatever it might be. So again, there's a path to success for Trey Lance. But I don't think this is like grounds for celebration for... 49ers fans over Mac Jones like Mac Jones still would have been fine in the system but yes that perceived upside or that ability to hit the home run instead of say a single or a double 
does exist there with Trey Lance, but there's also the chance you strike out. You know, that's it, it is a risk. I think it's the riskiest pick because of the small sample size. But your so your big thing is essentially the accuracy, right? I mean, the sample size is what it is, but that's not that's true for a couple of quarterbacks, although albeit not to the extent it is for Trey Lance. Your your big issue with him right now is that he is an in, an inaccurate passer of the football. Yes. Do you not think though that the sample size thing plays into that? Like it does. The yeah. fact that he's got 319 attempts in college, I don't think he had a lot of high school tape either in terms of passing the football. Like he is, he's a guy that hasn't thrown the football a lot. So if you're a, if you are Kyle Shanahan, a guy looking for a new quarterback and somebody to to build, are you not looking at Trey Lance and saying, okay, yeah, he's not the most accurate guy in the world? but he's barely thrown the ball. Like I can take that and fix it because it's starting from a, it's starting from a point without ingrained bad habits, right? It's just, he's never really been, like he's never really been put on this path to be an accurate quarterback. I, I mean, maybe this is the wrong way of looking at it, but if it was me, I'd be a lot more comfortable taking a quarterback with some accuracy issues that has basically never thrown the football to any extent versus a guy who's got like four seasons of like, high volume passing and is inaccurate and is you know had this like deeply ingrained in him and you're gonna have to somehow undo all of that work yes and i get it and look when, when this trade happened the order in which i said it's most likely to go was jo- um, justin fields trey lance mac jones so trey lance was the second guy that i thought that they would trade up to get obviously wrong trey lance was the guy that they traded right. up to get so i get i mean i get all the points I'm just looking at this through the lens of giving up multiple first-round picks and taking this guy at three, and also in part because Justin Fields and Mac Jones are also on the board. There's just there's risk involved in this because because you still don't know what he is. Now, look, I, Trey Lance lands in the best situation in the NFL or, uh, out of all the rookies. He lands in the best situation. Yep. They've got playmakers. They have Kyle. I think they'll be okay. But again, I just I just don't think if you're debating Mac Jones and and, and Trey Lance. There's probably more, if you're simulating at this a thousand times, PFF style, there's far more simulations that have Mac Jones coming out better than Trey Lance. However, I, I don't know about that. I, but, the, but the Trey Lance simulations might be even better. And it also depends, how is Kyle really going to incorporate the quarterback run game that much? And does he need to? In my, in my head, Lamar Jackson was a thousand yard rusher. And I, you know, I, I, when he came out, I said, he's going to rush for a thousand yards. I predicted it the second quarterback ever to do Mm -hmm. it right and he did it i'm predicting trey lance is a guy that will rush for six to eight hundred yards not every season but in a season maybe maybe get close to a thousand at some point but does kyle shanahan want that does he want to actually just make him he's got a good arm he does i mean he moves around the pocket finally he does what does regular drop if he's just like aaron Rodgers stylistically right a guy who's got who's athletic enough or Patrick Mahomes, who's athletic enough to move around, buy himself extra time, and then when you stop paying attention, can scamper away for a 40-yard play, as opposed to somebody who you're going to build an entire branch of the offense around. I, you're, I mean, it's a good point, and it's one that isn't being made a lot. I would suggest that you still want... It feels to me like a natural evolution point of the offense, right? Kyle Shanahan's offense has been evolving step after step. It's it, This offense... There's a lot of teams in the NFL with a coach that have some branch of this offense, right? Dating back to the guy's dad, right? Mike Shanahan. This, this offense has a bunch of different branches and a bunch of different systems. And it's all, um, 
this is the best. And the reason it's the best is because Kyle Shanahan has evolved it sequentially, step by step. He's added a bit here, added elements here, more things there. They have done more to evolve this system than anybody else. And it feels that one of the reasons you take a Trey Lance is because you can add another layer of evolution. You can do something else that you can't do if it's Mac Jones, that you could do with Justin Fields, but it's more natural with Trey Lance because of how good of a designed ball carrier he is. Now, that doesn't mean that... So one of the problems in in years past is that the answer to that would be, oh, well, we just run a bunch of like zone read plays, right? And like have read options and just have the quarterback run every now and again. But what would make it so good with Kyle Shanahan's offense is this idea of tying everything together so that the pass game and the run game are built as one. And now the run game is part of the, the pass game as well because the quarterback is an element. It just feels like a natural synergy for this offense in particular to feature that as a big part as opposed to just here's a quarterback that's going to scramble a bit. Yeah, and just, you know, we have a lot of new listeners and everything, so I just want to explain this too. You know, the, the Shanahan's, their entire system, they run that outside zone, that stretch zone. And mm-hmm. part of the reason why it's worked so well is they can almost take one defender out of the box, right? We've done the research at PFF, and we've said, look, box count is what matters. If you have seven guys in the box and there's six or seven uh, blockers, the offense has the advantage. Your running back is going to have more success. Well, the Shanahan's have found a way. Their, their goal is to always take one defensive end and put him in conflict. So he can either play the run, or the way they figured it out is you have the boot action. That's why they run it so much. So the, that guy has to stop the quarterback. And then the next step on that is a running quarterback, right? So not only can he run boot action, he can just keep it, and you always have to have a defender assigned to him. And then there's the jet sweep stuff. The jet sweep is like taking a guy that wasn't normally in the blocking scheme, and one defender has to take a look at him. Well, Shanahan incorporates all this stuff now. So they're just winning the math. They're winning the uh, they're winning everything here as far as uh, you know, outflanking the defense, and then Trey Lance had over a 1,000 yards on those designed runs yeah. in college. So that's why I'm just assuming they're going to tap back into that the same way they did I with RG3. I've got to say, I think they made the right pick at three with Trey Lance. I, I think for the 49ers, I know I'd going th- for a few weeks heading into the draft, I was saying, look, if it was me, I would pick Justin Fields. And I think that's probably still true. If I was doing it, I would pick Justin Fields. But I like the reasoning I think that they would have picked Trey Lance which is look he has that incredible rushing threat that we can evolve the offense with the flaw that he has is an accuracy issue which is almost to be expected given how little he's thrown the ball and I don't think he has the scary element that Justin Fields brings which I think spooked a lot of teams this idea of he Take, he holds onto the ball a long time. He will skew towards taking sacks, which are very bad plays, and, and those kinds of things. There are elements of Fields' game that I think terrifies NFL teams. I don't think there's anything to Trey Lance's game that terrifies an NFL team. They will look at his flaw and think that's easily fixable, particularly a guy like Shanahan. Even if they never improve his accuracy, it's less of a problem in Shanahan's offense. So I think ultimately they made the right call What's just fascinating is that they were so aggressive in terms of the, what it cost them to make that pick. So it's just, it's amazing to watch it pan out. Either way, I, I'm excited about the the new data points we're going to get. So we got Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan with the first running quarterback he's had in nine years. 
you have Mac Jones going to New England. So you get to see the guy that's been compared to Tom Brady going to the system where Tom Brady was became a Hall of Famer. You get to see Belichick's next quarterback. So I'm kind of glad the way things landed. And you get to see Justin Fields but try to be the guy. On a good that's team. That's the first good Chicago Bears quarterback since, like, Jim McMahon. I mean, yeah. Let's be serious. So I, I actually love all the landing spots. I'm excited. We've just done 22 hours of coverage all weekend, and I'm still fired up about the draft and what we're looking forward to. So I like the way it landed. uh, You've been mainlining Red Bulls and uh, smelling salts like Austin? I don't even know what's happening right now. I can't even think straight. But the rest of the 49ers draft, I think, was um, far less exciting (laughs) for uh, for everybody. Aaron Banks was a guy that Mike Renner, Mike Renner, our, our draft analyst, by the way, I always like to give Mike props because I think he really? is. A, he, I do. Oh, I give him. Okay. I, tw- I tweeted out the other day. He is a star. If you did not watch our draft coverage, Mike is a star. He has come, not even come a long way. He's always had football knowledge, but he continues to get better and better at articulating it. So I think he was a, the star of our draft coverage this weekend. Great job this week. And he's a golden homer, as I always like to call him. He mm. will. He tends. To, he, and he sometimes he's like Steve. Just check me. Notre Dame guy. Am I too high on him? Aaron Banks was the second draft pick for the 49ers. He's out of Notre Dame guard. He was 119 on our board that Renner put together, and he went at 48 overall. So even Renner wasn't as high on Aaron Banks. (laughs) There's quite a few players this year where Renner was lower on them than the NFL from Notre Dame. It's like when Renner is lower on you than everyone else, and you're from Notre Dame, that's potentially an issue. Right. So, I mean, Aaron Banks, guard, you know, that's going to help the run game a little bit. Uh, Trey Sermon, they traded up. Drafted you know, two running backs and traded up to get one. Right. They, As much as Kyle makes running backs look good, he also likes drafting running backs. He, well, he likes, likes drafting and paying for them. Like, they, in a weird—the 49ers' backfield is kind of fascinating. Like, as much as you think, hey, running backs can be acquired for either low draft capital or low money, they have paid free agent money, like significant free agent money, to running backs. They've drafted them high— and most of the ones that have done the best have been low cost. It's just a weird dynamic that the 49ers have. They're clearly willing and eager to invest in that position, but are almost a walking example of why it's not necessarily the best idea in the world. They have Wayne Gallman back there. Remember we, the Dontrell Inman, Madden, create a player yeah. comp? That's, that's Wayne Gallman for me. He is just average across the board at everything running back related which is the opposite of a Raheem Mostert I was always like man I I understand why Shanahan would love speed because he's like man I'm gonna get you in space I'm gonna block it up get you in space give me the speed guy that's why I think Mostert's great uh Sermon knows how to force force missed tackles and create after contact so um loving where he's going look loving where the Niners are going with the running game that's clearly where they were focused, I think, if they're going to do that with Trey Lance. So. Yeah, it's just going to be fun to watch what that offense looks like. And I I personally think that Trey Lance can start very quickly. I don't think he needs to sit for this extended period of time that a lot of people are building into this. We've gone long on the 49ers, but it's okay because the Seattle Seahawks only had three picks. So they'll, ah, they'll bring us back down to earth here, Sam. Let's go to we'll, – we'll finish them last in the NFC last. West. Okay. Uh, let's go to the Cardinals. Uh, they go with Zayvon Collins at 16 overall. He was 36th on our draft board, so technically uh, higher than we would have said. That was a surprise pick, and I got more on that in a minute. Rondale Moore, one of your favorites, at 49 in the second round. Uh, didn't have a third rounder. They go Marco Wilson, cornerback out of Florida at 136, and perhaps the one of the sleepers in the draft, Tay Gowan, goes at 223. Uh, another guy that our grades liked, our evaluations liked. We had him at 69 on our board. Uh, the Zaven Collins pick, there was a point in this draft 
I'm, you know, we got a lot of coverage still to go here. I'm going to repeat myself a million times. But I said it that night, three linebackers went before the first. No, it was three linebackers and one defensive lineman at one point. And that just never happens. Teams win, yeah. invest in the defensive line. And I'm wondering how much the NFL is just you know, itching to have that linebacker who can just do it all in the middle of their defense. Particularly as we were speculating before the draft that maybe linebacker is becoming a position that gets less fo less targeted in the first round, right? They're all struggling right out of the gate. It's really hard to find a linebacker that makes an immediate impact. I mean, look at the Cardinals last year. They draft the guy who's being talked of as this defensive unicorn, a, a positionless player, a guy that can do everything, a guy with the um, range and speed of a safety and the body of a giant linebacker. And that guy got, tar like he, Kyle Shanahan in week one, like a giant bullseye all over Isaiah Simmons, just right. ripped him to pieces. Then they basically put him on the bench. They couldn't have him on the field because he was getting targeted so much. So, <laughs> but for, for the Cardinals of all teams to go like back to the well the next year and draft another linebacker midway through the first round is, is interesting. And then Collins is such a fascinating player because six foot five, weighed in at 270, 70 at the the medical combine in Indy. That's massive. 270 is closer to a defensive tackle now than it is an off-the-ball linebacker. Right. We've got friend to me of the show, Darius Leonard, running around here at like 215. Friend to me. Friend of me. Friend of me. I think it's a thing. Yeah. Um, no, it's a friend. Running around at like 215, according to himself. Like 220, 215 is not insane for an NFL linebacker now. Collins is 270 and doesn't play like the kind of linebacker you picture when you think 270, right? If you think a 270 pound linebacker, you're thinking old 1990s Pittsburgh Steelers, three, four thumpers right. that are gonna come down, annihilate a fullback in the hole, play the run, destroy guards. You don't want them in coverage, all those kinds of things, right? That's not the way he plays. He plays, you know the way Brian Erlacher was always more of a finesse player and, and a coverage rangy type of player despite being a monster? Yeah. That's kind of Zayvon Collins. So they've picked this guy that does actually fit in that in today's NFL, just has the most batshit body size and type. And people, of and course, you're pairing him next to Isaiah Simmons, right? And people are saying, hey, "Is he bulking up to play the edge?" And this and that. We think we covered that in the pre-show. Like you just you don't just become an edge if you're a linebacker. Right. Micah Parsons, who is a legit pass rusher and blitzer, is still not even going to be doing that. So like Dante Hightower is the only other type of big linebacker because. He is kind of an edge hybrid. So that's not Collins. So that's the the question mark there. The one thing I do like about Arizona, they they would crowd the line of scrimmage. They they played a lot of three and four linebackers and just, you know, muddy the water, muddy the picture for quarterbacks. There's that famous interception. I don't know how famous it is, but Isaiah Simmons in overtime to Russell Wilson in that disguised coverage. Yeah. Where they're just crowding the line. And now again, what they've done, they have big Jordan Phillips up there, but they have JJ Watt, they have Chandler Jones coming back. You have Isaiah Simmons. You have Zayvon Collins. You have Marcus Golden there. You have three legitimate edge rushers. Jordan Hicks is still there too, by the way. So I think they're just trying to be as multiple as possible. Yeah. Um, but again, like at 16 overall, it felt a little rich. And the, my bigger question is who's cornerback two? Last year they had take Patrick. Take now. It might be take Allen. It really <laughs> might be. I mean, last year they had Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick. Both guys are gone. Malcolm Butler comes in. I like the Malcolm Butler pick. 74.5 PFF grade last year. But Robert Alford is the starting corner opposite him. Hasn't played in two years. Marco Wilson has not played great football in the SEC at Florida after a pretty promising start to his career. And then Tay Gowan, 
both of those draft picks will be competing yeah. for that starting spot. It sounds crazy, but Tay Gowan has like a, a legitimate pathway through to seeing starting time. And obviously Even Marco Wilson does too because they drafted him ahead of Gowan. Of we course, just thought yeah, they, they Gowan both was do. a better player. Right. They, But in, in terms of like he can be the third corner that's, that plays outside. You know what right. I mean? That, that term of starter um, with Byron Murphy being the slot guy or, or Robert Alford. Um, that doesn't happen very often where you get a sixth round there and you're thinking that guy could start like actually this year. Um, Gowan has NFL size, speed, plays, um, length. Like it's very hard to get him beaten badly unless you stack him once you get around him. He's just got such incredible length at the catch point. He's got a real shot of making an impact. And I kind of, because of that, I quietly really like this draft. I You do? Yeah, I think, look, Zayvon Collins is a weird pick and maybe a little bit overdrafted, but he's such a f special athlete and size. And I just, I like the concept of being able to start platooning these guys like Simmons and Zayvon Collins and that group and seeing what they can do. The Cardinals, I think, are maybe the best position team in the league to immediately make use of Rondell Moore um, without having to figure out how to use him. Yeah. This idea of, look, if you're going to draft Rondell Moore, you need to have a plan for him. Because if you don't, there's a chance that he ends up like um, Tavon Austin, where you draft him, you have no freaking idea what to do with him, and all he ends up being is the jet sweep guy for the next five years, bombing around the NFL with various different teams, returning punts and taking the odd jet sweep. Um, Rondell Moore, the, the Cardinals have this kind of role already because Larry Fitzgerald's last couple of seasons, he hit that A.J. Green wall where he doesn't get open anymore. He's not fast. He can't really win with route running, but he's still got great hands and he's your all-time best receiver and he's a Hall of Famer and all these kinds of things. So you can't just stop giving him the ball. Right. So how do you fix that? You put him in the slot, you feed him bubble screens, you keep him involved in the offense. And look, he's, a, he's still a big, strong guy. He can break some tackles or whatever. So they've been like force feeding Larry Fitzgerald these quick receiver screens, which is what Rondale Moore does. Only instead of Larry Fitzgerald just sort of finding a crease and, and using strength to gain eight yards. Not good. You're you're giving a guy the ball who can jump out of the gym, run a 4-2. Yeah, I love that. Cut at full speed and, and leave guys like grasping at nothing in the dirt. And you don't need to figure out yet like a bunch of other things that Rondell Moore can do. He can be on the field immediately, get two or three of those plays a game, make a big play here or there, and then you can figure out over the season what else he can do. Like what else can we get him doing? Can we get him running digs? Can we get him running vertically from the slot? Can he play on the outside running deep, do a little bit of the Tyreek Hill stuff? So I love that fit for utilizing what is still one of the most unique and special playmakers in the NFL, or in the draft, rather. Could Rondell Moore, because people are saying, yeah, he's too short to play a receiver. He's got to be a running back. Could he be that guy that does line up and just takes running back snaps? Remember, there's a difference between hybrid players. Right. But if he could be in the way that, actually take handoffs. Yeah, in the way that Tyreek Hill does, Yeah, right? I mean, this is the thing. We're, it's like Rondell Moore's too small. He's got to play scat back, or he's got to do... Like, Rondell Moore is two inches shorter than Jalen Waddle, who went, what, number six? They, they got him at six, right? He's 5'9"? Yes. Waddle? And they're the same weight. He's not. He is five. It's five nine and a half. See? Okay, two and a half inches shorter. 5'09". But the same four. weight, right? We're not 
criticizing Jalen Waddle for is he too small? To, well, because Rondell's got that like Russell Wilson body where it's like jacked up lower right. half, He's explosive. Like a tank. Yeah. Either way, I mean, explosiveness to a spread offense. That's what you're adding, which is with a designed needed. role already there yes. for him to assume. I just can't stop laughing that uh, our friend PFF NFL podcast memes has has attacked again. Oh no! Um, What's happening now? It's a meme of me whispering into all 32 NFL GMs' <laughs> ear, saying Alejandro Villanueva will help your offensive line creep back toward average. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's maybe it's happened. It may have happened in multiple meetings with teams. Hey, you guys, you guys kicked the tires on uh, Ali Villanueva yet? Do you guys kick those tires? Arizona doesn't need to kick those tires because their offensive line is actually in pretty good shape. So, um, wait, either wait, way, wait, wait. I, there's a team that doesn't need to call Villanueva. There's one team. There's at least one team. That's Arizona. Um, either way, I feel like one of my themes coming out of this, and you're going to hear it throughout these this entire podcast uh, draft review week. What's remaining? You know, what are the what are the holes that still need to be filled? What are the what are the remaining needs going into the season? And you know, your team building doesn't end in the draft. There's going to be releases. There's going to be trades. There's this still year, free agents. Yeah, this year more than most because there's this new deadline of of free agents that don't count against your um, salary cap this year. Right. So you can actually steal a march. So there's a bunch of teams that have come out of the draft. Maybe it didn't fall the way they wanted it to. Maybe they just didn't like the players available. Are probably waiting in the wings to start calling up free agents like a Richard Sherman or a Villanueva or a Russell Okung, though that's getting tougher now that Bitcoin's going through the roof. Um, <laughs> True. There's a bunch of teams, I'm sure, that are going to be on the call as soon as that deadline passes. A couple ages. So, cornerback's that thing for Arizona that I'm still keeping an eye on. Right. They don't have a spot. Casey Hayward's out there. Jason McCourty's out there. They're both in their 30s and coming off of poor seasons. So, just keep an eye on with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Let's go Los Angeles Rams. Another team, uh, or a team, that didn't have a first-round pick, much like the Seahawks, who we will discuss. Uh, with the Rams, you know, we just mentioned on our, our wrap-up show, haven't had a first rounder since 2016 and when you take a look at that history uh, it, it is going to be tough it's just really tough to hit on all of your day two and three picks and we it do is. not love this draft but sorry by the way we gave the cardinals a b minus for their draft okay. on pff.com what rams I, though what i like about the rams so it's like Are you mr positive now you're just going to find the positive and everything we'll see how today goes um look yeah they they trade away their first round picks and we mock them for that I, nobody mocks them people are mocking them other people um, not here. They're trading not around. Their first, they trade out the first round picks, and now it's like, well, you don't have much of a draft to work with. This is why that's a problem. But what they do well is amass picks. Okay, they're on day two and three, yeah. but they they keep a large number of them. They seem to, whether it's conscious or not, they are playing the odds well. That hey, once you're in day two and three, like the odds are not great that, that these part guys going to be good. Really smart. So let's yes. get a lot of them. So mm -hmm. in this draft, where you're like. They don't pick until number 57. Their next pick is 103. Um, but they had eight draft picks, I think. So they didn't have a first rounder. They don't have a first rounder either nine, side of this pick for years. Um, but they had nine draft picks, even if they weren't high. That's a smart thing to be doing. Now, then you get into like, okay, now which players did they pick? And it starts to get slightly less rosy. But strategically, that at least suggests like smart process yeah so or at least justifiable process in past years in their drafts we definitely liked a lot more of the players that they got didn't love the players that they got this year um tutu atwell they get at 57 overall we had a much lower on our draft board down at 157 speed receiver um but you know, we'll talk about this with the seahawks you know they they got Dwayne Eskridge. oh wow hang on what you 
you weigh more than two Tutu Atwells? What's he, 155? 140. 140, 149. You're almost there. You need to. I, I mean, do not. Now you more. probably do. No way. After don't. this weekend. It was a lot, rough weekend just sitting and. 298? You were in between takes. Yeah, yeah. 298. If we got you on a I scale right now. I am not right up now, to 298. No. If we got you on a scale right now, are you 298. It's going to take more than a few slices of pizza and little movement for four days to. Uh, you think? To get me to 298. I don't know if that's true. I'll mow the lawn tonight and lose four pounds. <laughs> God. 22 is half your size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half. Yeah. I mean, he's also number five on their depth chart right now. So, yeah. look, I, you don't draft for this year. However, uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson they got last year, and they signed just Deshaun Jackson this offseason. Yeah. So, 2-2 is going to be wide receiver five for now. It's it's a great spot for 2-2 to land, if nothing else, right? You actually get to sort of see firsthand from a guy who's made a career out of doing what you're going to need to figure out how to do if you're going to succeed at the NFL level, right? Deshaun Jackson – who himself was massively undersized. Okay, not 149 undersized, but still. Not half my size. Right. Like, Deshaun Jackson is the prototype for how to be a viable, covetable, dangerous, consistent deep threat at an extremely undersized size or uh, an extremely undersized body type for the NFL and still win outside. Like, that's Tutu Atwell's ceiling, and he gets to sit there and, like, learn from the guy that did it. That's a good. That's a good spot. For but he is half your size. He is a little too too. Um, beyond that, uh, linebacker Ernest Jones out of South Carolina. They got him at one hundred and three. We had him at one hundred and sixty nine on our board. Bobby Brown the third out of Texas A and M adds a little run stopping ability as a big interior defensive lineman. Uh, below average pass rush grades coming out of you know coming out of A and M in college. Um, so yeah, it's an okay. We have an okay haul. The, the potential wild card here is Jacob Harris. Well, two wild cards really. They got two athletic uh you know projection types here robert rochelle the cornerback out of central arkansas great workout numbers um he was on bruce feldman's freaks list speed size had a couple awesome interceptions i think it was against arkansas state when they played fbs teams and then jacob harris big wide receiver you know slash tight end i mean he's big enough to almost uh to almost be a tight end 41 inch vertical and the whole deal 439 40 yard dash jake funk Great name. Got Jake running back in Maryland. Also, you know, when you get to day three and an NFL network, it's like stump the truck. You know, can we oh, select yeah, yeah. a guy from an obscure enough school that the truck doesn't have film on them? Uh, they selected a guy, Chris Garrett, in the seventh round out of Concordia, St. Paul. And oh, then the Minnesota school. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, Not Concordia of New York. No, no, no. And we, the, the draft tracker, the PFF draft tracker, which has been cranking through live analysis on all what was it, 259 picks, um, 257, just did, 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 it bailed. It bounced on Chris Garrett, just nothing. I got nothing for you. Don't know where this is, who it is, no data on him. Which school? Can't tell you anything. Concordia St. Paul. Oh, they, oh, they bailed on that, yeah. Yeah, they just, we just, nah, peace out. I got nothing for you here. Just for more uh, Jacob Harris perspective here, 6'5", uh, 219. 6.543 cone that's 99th percentile among wow. wide receivers and he did it at six, six foot five, five with a four wow. with a 41 inch vertical uh 94th percentile a 97th percent percentile broad jump and an 87th percentile 40 at 4.39 so if he hits coming out of ucf <laughs> a guy that you know hasn't um i mean look if you're yeah if you're drafting guys in you know the fourth round that is a special athlete to be drafting. And then let's see if we can put that into wide receiver. Yeah. I think that's how you, you either pick special athletes that could hit 
or um, or production guys. Right. Um, but you know, Harris has little over a thousand snaps in his career. Never. Never graded above 60.7. So all of those tools at UCF never graded above 60. But sure, why not take a shot on that? So uh, it's a lot of TBD, I think, with the Rams draft. Picks that we didn't necessarily love. I think we gave it a C. Uh, I'm losing track of where I am here. I believe we gave that one of the lower grades. Um, But again, they're banking on their first-round pick to be Matthew Stafford. Yes, we gave it a C. And Stafford being enough of an an upgrade over Jared Goff that – this is all worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seattle Seahawks only have those three picks, as we said. Dwayne Eskridge is their first pick. Um, you're you're kind of an Eskridge fan, other than the you know catching the football deal. Yeah. Um, Trey Brown, the cornerback out of Oklahoma, they get in round four, and then in round six, Stone Forsyth out of Florida. Renner called this the steal of the draft in round six at two oh eight. Stones is actually my size. He is <laughs> more than two two twos. By the two, way, two two twos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about Eskridge, though, and what you saw from him. Round two, like 56th Eskridge. overall. I do like Eskridge. And Renner, and I think Austin as well, we're sort of labeling this guy as a one-trick pony, a straight-line speed guy, and nothing there else. How many times are you going to drop that? That's the first time I've dropped it today. No, you've dropped it. You've just reclaimed it before it hit the dirt. I have? Yeah, I haven't earlier, even noticed. Like 10 my... minutes ago. Anyway. I don't notice. I'm going to um, get my pen. I like Eskridge. I think he's capable of doing more than just being a one-trick straight line speed guy who can be a deep threat i think he can work the horizontal game i think he's got feet to thrive on the outside i think he's got hand usage to be able to defeat press coverage and beat nfl cornerbacks i like everything about his game except catching which is i grant you i grant you is a significant caveat for a receiver whose job it is to catch the football um and it's not even just catching it's like you know, when it gets physical at the catch point, it's not great either. I, yeah. There are some problems, I will admit. But I liked him as a third-round guy, right? When you get into the third and fourth rounds and you're looking at these these receivers who are very samey, right? There's a bunch of these sort of small, fast, shifty guys who have got some production. And you're like, which one of those do you think could be something? I liked Eskridge from that sort of group. And I was like, I'd take him at the top of the third round. And I, I know there were NFL people that liked Eskridge as well. But the Seahawks took him in the second, like middle of the second. Like they, they only had three picks. That's a real. I, I, I think they went through. I mean, he ranked 164th on our board, right? And even if you say, I like him a lot more than Renner, let's shave 60 off that. Let's put him at number 100. It's still like a 34 position reach. Yeah, I mean, we had a um, whole round, you know, which is like what I'm saying. Like third round, yeah. Second round, yeah. Second round when you don't have any picks, even worse. We, we had uh, former Giants GM Mark Ross on our draft recap show on Sunday. And, you know, he said he didn't like the Seahawks draft. And it comes down to that Jamal Adams trade. When you trade players for picks, you get to this point where you just you go into the offseason. How are we going to fix my roster? You get free agency, you have the draft. And you get to the draft and you only had three picks. It's really difficult to do that. It's really difficult to add to their team. But I feel like the Seahawks looked and they said, we definitely need a third wide receiver. We're doing that. We need potentially a slot corner that's Trey Brown out of Oklahoma hasn't mm-hmm. played in the slot in college but he's got slot type of size and, and then his size will be at the next level. he will be a slot and then Stone Forsyth the the offensive tackle as I mentioned um three solid grades in the SEC but you know he's six nine and I think certainly some pad level issues there against some against bull rushers but um he's, he's just a good guy to have as a backup for now and just see if he can develop I think the three players they came away with are good players um, really the only issue is the process that surrounds the Eckridge pick. One, it looks like a fairly significant reach. And two, when you only have three picks in the draft, when you're picking 56, 
Like that's the that's the one pick you have that you can potentially turn into a lot more and sort of build a draft off it. You know the way they did a couple of years ago, right? Where they had almost nothing, traded down and turned like one pick into like six. That felt like what they sh- they needed to do with that second round pick. But the fact that they didn't, the fact that they must have been aware of that and that that was a roadmap that they could um, follow again, and instead chose Eskridge, a guy who was a significant reach according to our board, according to the consensus board, I think it speaks a lot about what they think about Eskridge. And in addition to that, there are, there are, the Seahawks are one of the few teams in the NFL who have a history with receivers that look like Eskridge and have been successful, whether it's Doug Baldwin, whether it's Tyler Lockett, they have got players in their recent past that have been undersized guys great quickness and have been able to work inside and outside and been successful i I think this is also this is important here they just hired shane waldron to be their offensive coordinator he comes over from the rams this is a it's a different world it's a different system the rams if you say how do they attack they attack all over the field but a lot of horizontal stuff Mm -hmm. seattle last year was all vertical for the most part with russell wilson it's been all vertical that's what dk metcalf obviously does that's what tyler lockett does throw the ball down the field create some big plays even though Eskridge is straight line fast I think they're looking at him as a horizontal type of threat yes and that was their big weakness against the Rams when the Rams if they play the same style they did last year under Brandon Staley in those three games they just say you can't throw the ball down the field you can't do it against us you have to outflank us uh horizontally on underneath stuff and the Seahawks like tried to tap into that a little bit in the second game and they're just they just weren't comfortable doing it they didn't do a good job of it but they have Eskridge now, and they have Gerald Everett, who could be the other big key to the Seahawks this year because mm-hmm. he's he's another guy, after-the-catch type of guy, that um, much like Eskridge, I think they tried to add some yak to that offense with the, with, yep. with Eskridge and with Everett to go with the downfield. And I think Eskridge attack. can definitely do that. Again, I think he is a little bit more versatile than uh, Mike and, and Austin are giving him credit for. All right, that's the NFC West. Just needs to learn how to catch. I want you guys. I want to call your attention, if you're watching on YouTube, to what Sam and I are wearing. Though mm. these sweatshirts, these sweat tailor shirts, the matching. We did not know we were going to be matching today, uh, but we are. We're yes. wearing the same light gray. It's all from Sweat Taylor. That's S W E T Taylor, and uh, that's what we, we what, is what we wore all weekend on the PFF NFL Draft Show. It was fantastic. It's comfortable, but also classy. So if you're like me, you're tired of wearing the same. Trying to find the same jeans. I can't say this because hmm? I can't wear their jeans. Oh, I can. Well, I got them. I got the pants. Are on. you tired of finding jeans that that, that fit right? No matter I am. your build. I've and, told you the story. Finding? Where I went in, I had yeah. I had this set of jeans that fit perfectly. I went in, took exactly the same size, and they didn't fit for. They weren't even close. So here we go. I got these. Those instead. are fitting well. Yeah, great, perfect. So it's our newest sponsor on the PFF NFL podcast, Sweat Taylor, a premium menswear brand that is defining a new kind of casual from jackets and pants to joggers and hoodies. Sweat Taylor's designs are made to be seamlessly fit into your life, moving from runway to office, office to drinks and drinks to wherever the night takes you. Specializing in athleisure wear for men, pieces are designed with comfort and versatility in mind for every day. So again, we wore it all weekend. We had hoodies. I had a button down, had this sweatshirt. It's awesome. And you use the promo code PFF-SWEAT, S-W-E-T, PFF-SWEAT for 25% off. That's PFF-S-W-E-T for 25% off, off your order at sweattailor.com. Sweattailor.com. Comfortable enough, apparently, for Austin to sleep in during the Yeah, Austin slept in it, man. 
I think Austin slept, you know, two hours a night this entire weekend. Mm-hmm. He had he had more Red Bulls than hours of sleep is essentially a lot more. a stat from this yes. weekend, significantly more. Speaking In addition go, to the uh, smelling salts, I might go grab a Red Bull. Man, system here. feels like it's suffered some problems over the last uh, seventy two hours. Shout out to everybody at PFF, by the way. From again, data it starts with data collection, just getting the data that we can use to, you know, illustrate our points to. Uh, our entire content team to our production team just so much went into 22 hours of live coverage and that's not even including everything that went on the website and everything just a full team effort here at pff this weekend all right nfc east always got to get the east in here let's go dallas cowboys first um micah parsons is their first pick at 12 to me the theme of the dallas draft is just missing they just it feels like they must have been so pissed right they picking a 10 Everybody all the way through the pre-draft process is like, cornerback to Dallas, nail it on. First it was Caleb Farley, and then Farley's medicals were an issue. Then it's Patrick Sertan. Then it's like, hey, J.C. Horn's on the rise, J.C. Horn, whatever it is. It's one of the three first-round corners that people were expecting to be at the top end of the draft. Dallas is getting him a 10. And, you know, maybe if they don't, if they maybe they'll go offensive line. They love Sewell. If Sewell falls, Dallas could jump on him. And then everybody goes. And it's like... The white Carolina. Nobody had Carolina picking a cornerback. Goes. Some people did. Some people were on him. Well, no people had. Nobody had Denver though. Yes, Denver I, I saw and Carolina. Den- I saw plenty of Carolina getting the somewhat local guy, South Carolina's J.C. Horn. Denver, I saw that, but not Denver taking a corner. Denver and Carolina drafting both the corners two spots ahead of Dallas. They must have just been like, "Oh, screw this! Trade this out. Is- take the first offer." It's with Philadelphia. I don't care. Take it. Take it now. This is a year removed from Dallas getting C.D. Lamb to fall. Yep. Getting Trevon Diggs in the second round, who you know was a borderline first round. This type is like of the opposite draft. Yeah. Last year, it was like everybody fell into their laps, and they had one of those drafts where they just halt the slide of people you can't believe are still on the board. So the two and then key this ones. year, it's like yeah. everyone they wanted disappeared in front of them, and they just had to take the next guy on the board, which is like a you know fifty pick reach. The two key ones were, you know, we thought they wanted Sertan and Horn. They both go, and they take Micah Parsons at twelve after trading down. Um, they traded down as soon as those fir- two corners went off the board. So Immediately. They got, like, so they did get extra value there with the extra third-round pick. Um, Parsons is still a really good player. But then second round, they go Kelvin Joseph, corner out of Kentucky. The The Raiders jumped up over them to get tra- uh, Trayvon Merrig, which we were, call- we were calling Morig for a while. It's Merrig. Um, that's the other safety that they probably would have loved, first-round safety. So they were – I think they were so close to going corner safety to getting our top corner on the board in Sertan, our top – you know safety on the board and Merrick and instead they get Micah Parsons our top linebacker on the board granted and then Kelvin Joseph you know a bit of a risky corner with incredible speed incredible movement skills but both of those guys have off the field concerns yeah uh, fourth rounder Josh Ball from Marshall has Joseph massive, also has on the field concerns Joseph has on the field concerns as well Josh, <laughs> Josh Ball has massive off field concerns as well so I mean, Dallas did go that like route that pick in particular just screams like like, they must have been so certain that they were getting one of those cornerbacks with that pick, like, all the way through. You know when you just – you've been – your entire plan just has something set in stone as a given? It would have been like, you know, if, if the Jets had drafted Justin Fields or something, right? And suddenly everyone's like, wow, hang on, this is, this is not how this is supposed to be. Like, one of the givens we had at this point is that Zach Wilson isn't here anymore. Now he is. Everything just went to hell. We've changed everything. 
the the Cowboys must have been working the entire process of like one of these corners is there at ten, we're good, and then he doesn't go. Uh oh, trade down in trouble. Get Parsons, and then who are we taking in the second round now? We haven't even been looking at second round corners because we were taking Sertan right. or J.C. Horn at ten. Now we got to figure out which one of these second round guys we like. Joseph's got some talent. Let's grab him. Yeah, Kelvin Joseph. Um, he had an incredible pick six. Uh, breaking on the ball. I mean, the quicks and speed that he has, fantastic. He also got absolutely torched by the great Kyle Pitts. Not the only one. He was one of, you know, this is what the SEC started to do, man. They started to just find a way to put, you know, the best coverage players on Kyle Pitts and nobody could stop him. It still him. didn't but, work, yeah. Um, it seems, so here's the curious part about Dallas. The other, maybe their best pick was getting Jabril Cox when they got him. They get him. Uh, in the fourth round at 115 overall, top 45 player on our draft board, length, zone length, really good fit, I think, for the Dallas defense. And I was thinking Jabril Cox, with his length and size, that old-school Sam type of feel, he could be K.J. Wright for a new coordinator, Dan, Dan Quinn, and Micah Parsons has some Bobby Wagner to him. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You've Okay, but you already had Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith, so now what are you and, doing? And Keon O'Neal, yes, who they signed linebacker. to play linebacker. Everybody's playing linebacker in Dallas now. And I also don't know why, because Keon O'Neal did do fairly well at strong safety and in, in Dan Quinn's system in Atlanta. Doesn't matter. Everybody's playing linebacker here. Maybe the plan is, you know, we've been saying that, look, playing linebacker in today's NFL is a nightmare. They've got to cover too much. There's just too much just ass of Put them. more out there. Too many responsibilities. Let's just roll with six of them. We have six linebackers. There's no space for anybody to target the linebackers. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, I, I also, will say our defensive line is bad enough that it doesn't matter if we lose two guys from that anyway. They may have they may have found two contributors though. Osa Odigizua and like Chauncey Golston. I, Golston's got some. He does a really nice job too in the run game. So both of those picks are pretty solid, and I think both of those guys play. Odigizua. Right. On the other hand, Golston was drafted 84 was ranked 170 on the big board yeah i mean it's uh, a diggy zoo was a lot closer but even that was um you know 15 pick reach or whatever but they're probably immediately a part of the rotation yeah. parsons probably f sees the field early kelvin joseph might have to because it's anthony brown Javon diggs jordan lewis i guess he could sit maybe behind anthony brown but i i really wanted an upgrade there i think they did too i just don't understand prioritizing linebacker as a position and a strategy in today's nfl and I would say I will say with Quinn in that scheme, we've seen this cover three Seahawks scheme go all around the league, and it really has failed everywhere except one year in Jacksonville. But the the ones that have done pretty well in one year in Atlanta, Bobby Wagner might be the underrated part of that. We always look at the secondary and the defensive line, but having a Wagner makes this thing work. Having, you know, Miles Jack did all right with Jacksonville, but um Deion Jones was great for Atlanta was a playmaker I feel like these defensive coordinators want that playmaking linebacker but again in this system. like you have two you have an athletic freak in Jalen Smith who you just gave a monster contract to you have Leighton Van Der Esch a former first round pick who in his rookie year looked like the best of those linebackers so are we just saying that those two guys are done like we're shipping both of them out they've they're both failed experiments we are replacing the linebacker core, essentially. Well, Van Der Esch is in the last year of his contract. I, look, I'm not even saying it's option, wrong. I'm TBD. saying like, they've both been playing badly recently. But oh, I know. it's a hell of a statement to be like, we're dumping the linebacking core and getting a new one, and we're investing heavily to do that. I also thought, I mean, it's also it's a two-linebacker league, right? I mean, yes. it's, it's a two-linebacker league, unless you're running a 3-3-5, three, three, but right. that's not even a thing. You don't really run 3-3-5s. Three, three, when you do that, the one of the three in the middle there is actually a rusher, a pass rusher. It's really a two-linebacker league. So 
Yeah, uh, that's the curious part about this Dallas draft. For it to really be great, Parsons has to be excellent, and Joseph kind of needs to live up to the tools. He has a below-average coverage grade when compared to recent NFL prospects. But again, from a movement skill standpoint, he ran a four two eight, and you know, broad jump, really good, and he's he did it at five eleven, one ninety seven, pretty solid. But a four two eight is crazy. Yeah. By the um, way, four two eight and uh, Kyle Pitts ran away from him. No, that's how freaky Kyle Pitts is. He did. I mean, he absolutely smoked him. But that's you know, coverage skills and straight line speed are not necessarily the same thing. So we gave the no, no. We, but even like once, like once the ball was in his hands and they were both running in a straight line towards the end zone. Yeah, like the four two eight guy wasn't gaining ground. When you watch Joseph play, though, he works downhill from off coverage downhill like an absolute missile. You do that a lot in this system. Um, I just don't know if he sees the field over Anthony Brown, Trayvon Diggs, and Jordan Lewis just yeah. yet. It's, um, it, it's, I mean, it's tough, right? Dallas, there's a few, couple of picks in there that are not bad players. It just, I don't know what the plan was and if it all went to hell when the corners that they probably wanted got drafted immediately above them. We're um, projecting a little bit, but I don't think we're that far off as far as what they were hoping. No, for. I think that, like, this is maybe the most obvious, like, panic adjustment to a draft pick that happened that you're going to see. Like, the cornerback they wanted or the corners that they were interested in went one and two picks above in front of them. They immediately went, oh, crap, get out of this pick, traded down, and then like spent the next 10 minutes figuring out what they were going to do, went with Parsons, and then that sort of adjusted what the entire rest of this process was. By the way, the promo code DRAFT30 is still live for still everybody. Work, DRAFT30, 30% off any PFF subscription, <laughs> 365 days of access for all of the 2021 NFL season. And next year's draft. Like, if you sign up today, you get next year's draft coverage for 30% off. Draft somebody, 30, uh, draft 3-0. Somebody has tweeted that kind of sums up how I sometimes feel doing podcasts with you, Steve. Oh, boy. <laughs> the uh, Replying to that, Steve Palazzolo whispering in the ears of all 32 NFL GMs about Villanueva. This incessant refrain has slowly driven me insane, especially the assumption that teams hadn't even tried to sign him or reached out to his agent or that he would play for just anyone. I just like that, that uh, yeah, you constantly going on about it. It's just it's pushing me to the brink. I'm pushing you to the brink about Villanueva? I mean, not about that necessarily. I can just, I, I can empathize with how you could drive people. What else do I say mental. over and over that's that's driving you crazy? I mean, before Villanueva was Will Fuller. And then, yeah, of course, Will something. Fuller would be a great addition to everybody. Yeah. Wait till Jalen Waddell hits free agency I'm just in saying, four I years. Can, I can relate. Give me Jalen Waddell on my team. The next Will Fuller teammate. All right, I won't mention Villanueva. He's off. <laughs> Oh, you're 100% him at some I'm point. on to Russell Okung. Should sign Okung. Quick, Talk so let me start a poll on how long Steve can last before he brings up Villanueva. There'll be a tackle on the market that somebody should be looking at. That's yeah. all I'll say. All right, let's go to the New York Giants. We gave them a B plus. Kind of liked this draft. I'm, I'm excited about where the Giants roster is going. Mm -hmm. I think this is great. The Kadarius Tony in the first round, higher than we had him from a draft board standpoint. But the thing I get excited about, I, I, I'm i more excited about how he fits into this team than, say, a Renner or other people that have discussed it. Me. But again, I'm, I'm thinking basketball team here. Um, Aziz Ojolari in round two at 50. We had him as a late first-round pick, have some injury concerns there. That's part of the reason why I believe he fell. And then Aaron Robinson, cornerback out of UCF. I love Aaron Robinson. Short arms probably make him a slot corner, but he played the slot in college, played it extremely well. Uh, love the way he moves on the football field. And that secondary is really coming together for the Giants. I just, 
really like those three picks as a as a starter for the Giants. Can we start with this as a lesson for how if you ever say declarative statements before the draft, this can never happen, you're probably an idiot. Did, did um, somebody tell you that Gettleman would never trade down? Yes. I was making mock drafts where teams in search of quarterbacks were trading up to the giant spot because it would make was making a lot of sense. Now, teams didn't trade up to the uh, to the wait. Where did the Bears get him? Was that pick right? Bears the Bears did twenty. It. Yeah, so they did. The Bears made the move. I was saying it was. I was predicting the Patriots to make that move. The Patriots sat pat. Pun intended. Oh, to, um, up to 11, right? You had the right. Patriots going to 11. From the Bears 15, did that but the Bears did that. The Bears made the move. But the point is, people were like, your mock is immediately crap because Gettleman never trades down. Never. And he hadn't. Gettleman had never traded down in any draft, in any round, in his previous tenure. But he did it multiple times in this draft, which just, just goes to show... You just don't make declarative statements like that before the draft. That was we one, don't so know. One thing I nailed was that teams weren't going to be trading up in the top 10 for quarterbacks, that it would be that 10 to 19 range or 10 to 15 range, really, mm -hmm. ahead of the Patriots. So that actually was what happened, too. Go oh, Bears. by the way, are we – this is – this like the whole world has been a blur for the last like X number of days. Very blurry. This is the first podcast we've done since the Aaron Rodgers madness, right? That hadn't come up the last podcast we'd done. No, that came we did. the day of the draft. That was round one. We did. We did. Oh, a round so we one did review. post draft. Okay, post round one. Yeah, we did recap round God, one. Just, and I don't honestly, I don't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> I, we could be saying the same exact words that we to, said on yeah, Thursday night. Absolutely, I was about to say that um, Denver being the team not to jump up for a quarterback in round in the top ten surprised me. But you have to think that the Aaron Rodgers madness played some part in all that. Yes. Yeah, we'll talk plenty about that. I think Denver also taking Patrick Sertan. I'm you know, right. wondering if they were going to flip him to Green Bay, but then Green Bay takes a corner. But I mean, the whole thing. But just, just the idea that this suddenly became like a legitimate thing, I think had to have stopped whatever plans Denver may have had to trade up for a Justin Fields or on, a Mac Jones or whatever. On the other hand, I also don't know if that was just the news breaking to the public. Or if behind the scenes, Teams every team ages. knew about this. No, because didn't John Lynch come out and say, like, as soon as that broke, they oh, like, yeah, picked he up the phone calls. and were like, yeah. yeah, anytime Aaron Rodgers is available, you got to find out what it, what the deal is. True. Um, so I, I think it was just that was that was that breaking cover. Um, anyway, about the, the Giants, uh, Kadarius Toney steps into this receiving core, which I love, man. I, the Giants, uh, secondary and receivers, doing a lot of things that, that I like, that I that, – that we so would hang like. on. Explain to me what Kadarius Tony is going to look like within this offense, because I like Kadarius Tony more than a lot of people did. In that, I think of the group of, I mean, second tier, if you want to put call them that, but the guys that are primarily slot receivers in this draft class. So Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, that kind of group. I think he might have the best chance to become an outside receiver and thrive in that role as well the way he moves and the development you saw from him in his final year he reminds me a little bit of like a slightly smaller stevie johnson the old buffalo bills receiver who had that weird way of moving as well and it was really difficult to jam at the line because of it um and had enough ability to beat that kind of jam and press coverage and just cause people problems with the way he ran routes i think tony can do that but it feels, I mean, you have to like his his potential to be like an immediate slot 
plus receiver. But if you want him to be an outside guy, that's probably going to take more time. And just like, what is the role for him in New York where they already have like a pretty good receiving core since getting Kenny Galladay? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you want to get the ball in his hands. You want to be him to be a jet sweep guy and that whole thing. You want it to develop him in the slot. And I think you can also develop him on the outside, as you're saying. So he can be the Sterling, she- Sterling Shepard insurance as Sterling moves on. Shepard even might be out of New York, to be honest. Right. Because you have Darius Slayton, deep threat. Nice job, Darius. He's, he's, done, he's been excellent since coming into the league for expectations. Kenny Galladay, they just bring in this offseason. Tony can play to be the third wide receiver with Sterling Shepard. We'll see if Shepard sticks around, but Tony can be the slot. And yeah, you develop him as an outside guy, and then maybe it's it's Tony and Galladay and Slayton going forward. Um, but don't forget, they also added Kyle Rudolph this year. He's not you know taking the pass game to the next level, but he's a good wide tight end, inline tight end to complement Evan Ingram, another movable chess piece on offense. And then I always seem to forget Saquon Barkley in this mix. Saquon Barkley's best value, not as you know by himself as the two number two overall pick, but it's in a situation like this where there's 500 other playmakers, and oh by the way, Barkley's one of the best receiving running backs in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So all of those things added up. We talk about you know you build a basketball team with your receivers, a rebounder, a tall guy, a, a yak guy, and the whole thing. They have a lot of these pieces. I love it. This is your this is your year three test for Daniel Jones. Is he the guy or just if he's not, you move on. But if he is, you know, if he puts up a 78 grade, here's the bottom line. If he puts up a 78 grade again this year, his stats will look way better than they did last year when he put up that same 78 grade. Yeah. The, the one concern is that that offensive line is still very iffy on paper. So may, I mean, maybe I just have a very uh, optimistic view there. Too. Now, look, it's, it's iffy with a, a, a high-end projection that can be pretty good, right? If Andrew, Andrew Thomas was our number one tackle last season. And that was a very good tackle class, most of whom played pretty well. Thomas had to rework his sets, struggled early, um, performed better down the stretch outside of one game where he got lit on fire by Hassan Reddick. But, you know, Andrew Thomas could could come good in year two and be a pretty good left tackle. Um, Matt, Pert was a guy you liked coming Love out, Matt or we Pert. liked a lot. Developmental out. tackle. Right. He got a little bit of playing time, showed some flashes. Maybe he takes a big step year two. The interior is, I think, more of a question mark. You know, Will Hernandez was a guy we really liked coming out, hasn't developed. Shane Lemieux got some playing time uh, over him, or got some playing time last year and was just horrendous. As a pass blocker, they just, there's a lot of question marks in that offensive line to the point where it could you know, invalidate everything else that's gone well in terms of uh, surrounding Daniel Jones with receiving talent and, you know, Saquon Barkley coming back and that kind of stuff. You know who they really don't need is Ali Villanueva. No. The last thing they need is another tackle. So they have at least three tackles that I kind of like or could could see playing, including Nate Solder coming back. We'll see what happens there. So, yeah, the the offensive line, the interior of the offensive line, that is the remaining need here with the Giants. That's That's the one remaining hole. Just to touch on the secondary again, though, James Bradbury comes in last year, 79.8 grade. Very good. Adoree Jackson banged up last year, but when he's been healthy the last few years, he has been fantastic. Adoree and Bradbury on the outside, and then you have a slot battle now with Aaron Robinson and Xavier McKinney, last year's draft pick. So both of those guys, uh, Julian Love still back there with some safety cornerback you know, ability. Logan Ryan as a safety. Jabril Peppers back there. 
I like it, man. I like the depth in the secondary. And Aziz Ojolari has a chance to be their best pass rusher in a long time. <laughs> this is it's a fascinating secondary because all of a sudden it looks really good. And they've managed to build that whilst crapping out on a first-round cornerback, right? DeAndre Baker, disastrous pick, right. got himself into trouble, got dumped out of the team. They completely whiffed on a first-round corner and have still like, assembled a really good-looking uh, secondary on paper. Adoree Jackson, obviously an injury concern, but when he's playing or when he's played in the NFL, the dude has got like 80-plus PFF grades consistently. He can be a really quality starter, particularly – if he's your number two with James Bradbury as the number one, Darnay Holmes, like that's a really nice looking secondary all of a sudden. I mean, that's why we always talk about attacking the secondary with volume. Yeah. And that's why they've, and that's why it's been better. They've attacked with volume in the draft. And, and even though their two biggest signings, their two biggest additions have been Adoree Jackson and James Bradbury in free agency. So I, look, I like the way the Giants are going. Still concerned about the offensive line. I'm with you. A little concerned about the pass rush. Ojolari hitting there would mitigate that quite a bit b plus for the giants over at pff.com eagles and football team to get through here and then we'll we'll, we'll go two divisions per show we're going to be here this is going to drop hopefully sunday so you're listening to this sunday monday we'll do do you want to do a show tuesday sure tuesday thursday friday for the four episodes release time yeah probably release time tuesday thursday and friday so we're going to go two divisions per show here on the pff nfl podcast all right philadelphia eagles they were sitting at 12 they traded with the with the cowboys their division rivals from 12 to 10 yeah to go get Devonte smith i we'll talk about that in a second but uh Devonte smith landon dickerson the center out of alabama at 37 overall milton williams at 73 uh zach mcpherson a cornerback out of texas tech kenneth gainwell one of the better pass catching running backs in this draft it was a good, solid draft for the Eagles. I mentioned on the show, is it unexciting just because they don't know if Jalen Hurts is good? But we gave it a B-minus overall. Yeah, like, like, what were you going to achieve? Like, they, they knew the Jalen Hurts thing was always what was happening. They've already decreed that. They already declared that when they traded down in the first place. They were not – I mean, the reports was essentially they really liked Kyle – why do I keep calling him Kyle Wilson? God damn it. Kyle Wilson was a receiver chaperone cornerback for the Jets – Zach Wilson is the quarterback that they right. just selected. So the reports were that they really liked Zach Wilson, but at the point where it became clear that he was going number two to the Jets, they basically bailed on the quarterback group this year, right? Right. They effectively said, we don't like Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones enough that we are willing to gamble that they are a significant upgrade of Jalen Hurts. And now, obviously, if, obviously the Cowboys bought into that because – if you're the Cowboys, I always talk, division rival, can't trade with the division rival. The Cowboys traded with the Eagles. If there was – Justin Fields was on the clock or, yeah. or on the board at that time. If there was any chance the Eagles were trying to go get Justin Fields, there's no way the Cowboys are trading that pick, right? Don't forget, though, this is the Cowboys, like, completely on tilt because they just had two cornerbacks drafted away from them. So you, you were painting this picture to me the other day, right? It goes J.C. Horn off the board, Patrick Sertan off yeah. the board, Dallas, you're on the clock. And they just throw their hands up in the air. Somebody's got a trade offer. Like, take it. Just take whatever. We're trading down. Have you seen the 30-second clip from the war room of the second they find out that that pick has happened and they don't have a cornerback on the board? So sad. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's a fair point that they, the Cowboys didn't think they were taking a quarterback when they did that. So, look, I think we knew that Philadelphia wasn't taking a quarterback unless somehow Zach Wilson was around when they were picking. 
Um, so I don't think you can hold that against them. This was just, this was a declared strategy. This was what they were going to do. Um, at which point, I, it's weird. Eagles fans seem quite down on this draft, but I like it. Again, weirdly optimistic. Um, I liked their draft last year too, but it was in part because, hey, you always take flyers on quarterback. You, you never know when they're going to start. This won't affect Carson Wentz's mentality. <laughs> Here we are a year later. It's Jalen Hurts' team. Yeah. What about trading up? You're trading up from 12 to I don't 10 love that. to get Devontae Smith. I don't, yeah, I don't love that. But on the other hand, I think Devontae Smith is maybe the best receiver in this class. So, I mean, if he's as good as he looks like he can be, that's a pretty impactful position or a pretty impactful uh, player and position and could actually be one of the rare ones that is worth the extra pick you gave up to make it happen. One thing I think it does is take a little pressure off Jalen Rieger. Is it Rieger now? We've been calling him Rager the whole time. It's always Rager, right? I think somebody uh, said we were off the whole time. It's Jalen, the receiver out of uh, TCU, yes. that they drafted in the first round last year. It takes a little pressure off him, right? Like, you don't yeah. – I make this point. You don't have to get a number one in the first round. Well, it gives him time to figure out what he is, which yeah. they didn't seem to have any idea of last year, even when they had him on the field. I kind of like that the Eagles are still taking shots at receiver, even though they've missed on a bunch. Yeah, Because not? it's important. Um, but it, this is a this is a, it's a rebuilding team, you know. It's, right. it's it's a rebuild. Zach Ertz is on the trading block. The offensive line has question marks for the first time in a while after the worst season in a while up front last year. Uh, they did replenish the defensive line a little bit with Milton Williams in the third. Whether that or was not a fun story too, yeah. Whether or not uh, Jalen Hurts is the guy at quarterback, you need a number one wide receiver. True. So either Jalen Hurts is the guy, in which case you want to give him some help, or he's not, and the next guy is going to need a number one wide receiver so you, you don't screw him up as well. So Devontae Smith's a great pick. His tape is the best of any of these wide receivers in college. The only negative he has is that the dude weighed in at the medical combine at 166 pounds. How many of me is that? It's like one and three quarters, right? I'm one and three quarters of... Uh... Oh, yeah, You're one, one and three-quarter Devontae's? Yeah. I mean, I it's outweigh right. the dude by, like, at least 10 pounds. He's that doesn't better. happen very often. He's better at football, though. He is. He is. But the point is that that size is just a freaky outlier, and that's going to scare teams. And it, it will scare teams that are just more comfortable with a Chase or a Jamar Chase. It'll scare teams, apparently, that, are, that buy into the idea that Jalen Waddle has freaky potential that's what i was gonna ask you how close are you watching that one your sunday ticket yeah. every week you're gonna be watching this waddle versus Devonte smith battle I mean, miami look, and philadelphia the thing that bums me out is that for the second consecutive year my favorite wide receiver has gone to a situation with an unideal quarterback drew Locke was wrecking jerry judy in his first year and jalen hurts was not an accurate passer last season has the capacity to really put a damper on the impact that Devontae Smith can have year one. But look, Devontae Smith is a special wide receiver, and I think absolutely worth the pick there. Landon Dickerson would be a decent first-round pick if you could guarantee that the man had all his ACLs every year. Um, if, if he's healthy, he could step in at left guard to start. He's the eventual eventual successor to Jason Kelsey yeah. at center. And then Milton Williams is like a a pass rushing potential penetrating three technique in a draft that doesn't have many of them. Right. Um, and look, yeah, do tell a story, the, the draft, the war room story. Yeah, so Milton Williams, by the way, 90.8 PFF grade last year. We were, we were early on him as far as like some of the draft buzz, I, I would say. And then he has this freak workout. I mean, he was fantastic. Um, just as pro day. Um, so he gets picked at 73. Well, the Eagles had picked 70, and they chose to trade down from mm -hmm. 70 to 73. And after they take Milton Williams, 
is like, you know, a couple claps in the war room and Howie. I don't know who Howie goes up to, but he, he was going around to everybody. But it was, it was he was Tom, fist bumping everybody. Tom but who, Donahue was that the guy's name? Is that who was upset? I think so. Um, so he goes to fist bump, you know, and Tom Donahue's very upset. And you don't. And this is this is why you don't put cameras in the uh, in the draft room, right? And uh, why would you be upset with a draft pick? Well, they asked Howie Roseman after, and he said, you know, we're at seventy. We had a few players that we liked and the player that we really wanted. The guy that we – we had two players close at one position is what he said. And the player we really wanted came off the board. And uh, Renner, we, we, we hypothesized. It could only have been Brady Christensen, the tackle out of BYU at 70, Aaron Robinson, the corner of the Giants, and then Aleem McNeil, the 320-pound nose tackle to the Lions at 72. Because he p- technically plays the same position as Milton Williams – Hmm. even though they're 50 pounds apart. It's the easiest line to draw between the two. Yeah, so we're assuming the Eagles really wanted Ali McNeil, who is just an incredible mover at 320, who you just can't block one-on-one in the run game and is a pretty good pass rusher for a 320-pounder. So we're assuming they really wanted McNeil. They get Milton Williams instead. So those are like the fun draft storylines I like to keep an eye on. What? How did those two players develop over the years? And like, what, what does the story end up being, being in a few years from now? That one's kind of fascinating because they are such different players. And you would be like, well, if one of the guys gets drafted immediately before you, you know, you, you sort of potentially can panic, go to the next guy down your board. But those are completely different styles of player. Now, did, does, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Eagles didn't covet either of them, both of them, right? You know, you can like two completely different style players for not even the same position, but a slightly different position along the same group. So maybe they did. On the other hand, you could just sort of almost panic and be like, oh, crap, our defensive interior guy went, who's next on the board? This guy, but he's 50 pounds lighter and doesn't play the same way. doesn't matter. Grab him. We need that. Like, I, I don't know which way that goes, but it is interesting that if that was the way it went down, they pivoted from a guy that's 320 to a guy that's like undersized even by Aaron Donald standards. Right. It's technically different positions, but in the same bucket of right. position. And, um, you know, the Eagles also got one, two, three other defensive linemen. Taron Jackson, one of Mike Renner's favorites. They get him in the sixth edge out of Coastal Carolina. He's a good edge defender. Uh, he's a good run defender on the edge. Patrick Johnson out of Tulane. I mean, they're getting maybe it's Patrick Johnson he really likes. He likes both of them um, <laughs> enough, at least. Here's the thing. I feel like they're preparing for life after Brandon Graham and life after Derek Barnett up front and yeah. maybe life after Fletcher Cox up front. The Eagles are in a rebuild. They're Which in the middle of a rebuild here. I think is the right thing to do, right? You you have to have eyes on the future and say, these guys are not getting any younger and it's probably going to take more than one swing at the bat to replace him. Like you're not going to find another Fletcher Cox just by going, oh, Fletcher Cox is gone now. Let's replace him. Like that doesn't happen, right? So let's draft three guys this year that we quite like and see if any of those guys can become a potential Fletcher Cox replacement or a piece of the puzzle in replacing Fletcher Cox. Like, for some reason, the criticism, it's gone from, like, how he was a, like, he's gone from, like, punchline to genius back to punchline again. It's like, well, I don't hate the process here. I don't dislike what they're doing. I think the Carson Wentz contract screwed them, but on the other hand, you can definitely understand why they did it. It just unspooled. So, and the Jalen Hurts thing was made perfect sense, but it seems to have catalyzed this collapse. Um, We've talked before about how they've made a lot of smart personnel moves and they've just not panned out at positions that they should have. This draft, to me, is a really smart draft. It's a good, solid draft. I I completely agree. Um, Again, it just feels like, 
we're always looking. What's the instant impact in this and that? It's like, why I am I find so out. positive today? What's going on? Yeah, you are really positive. The only one I've crapped over is Dallas so far. And I and all I'm doing is saying, well, you didn't fill this need, man. You're in trouble. Mm. In trouble going forward. And you should call Villanueva. Eagles are rebuilding. Well, the Giants should not. Don't <laughs> even just delete his number if you're the Giants. Delete you don't need Alley. You need guards and centers. All right, let's wrap it up. The NFC East. It is the Washington football team. Now, the draft itself wasn't the best draft, but I think the football team just topped off my second favorite offseason, I would say. Okay. I think that's what we ranked on the show the other day. <laughs> Cleveland Browns, maybe the best offseason. Football team's up there, though. They, I thought they crushed it in free agency and filled some needs in the draft, which isn't always the goal, but I just like the way this all played out. Jamin Davis, the linebacker in the first round, out of Kentucky, he goes at 19, higher than we would have picked. Third linebacker off the board. Again, interesting storyline here. But it's a need, and boy, is he athletic. He yeah. shows some incredible flashes in coverage, makes some really good plays. Other times, looks a little lost, but I could see the potential there. Samuel Cosme, the tackle out of Texas. He's a developmental guy, but a productive one. I like those guys. Um, he has some time to develop a tackle. The great Cornelius Lucas is still on the roster. Can start at left tackle. He's great. He's six foot nine. You got to appreciate Cornelius Lucas. Um, so you've got some time to develop Cosme. I love the Diami Brown pick at in round three, eighty-two. A guy we had second round value on. He can be a down the field threat. So a lot of nice things here from the football team. Yeah, I, I don't love the Jamin Davis pick, but I think everything else in this draft was really good. Um, I understand the Jamin Davis pick, but it always comes down to like, what you, what else did you leave on the board? Well, here? I under, yeah, I understand it in terms of it was a position of fairly significant need. Like their linebacker situation has not been good. On the other hand, they signed the great David Mayo, so it's going to get a lot better. Um, oh, he's the great. Yeah, the great David Mayo. He'll be the you know the middle linebacker, the the guy, the the general back there. And He'll then, be better than Davis, probably. Well, he'll be able to get Davis lined up right, right? Oh, okay. Mayo be... will we'll sort it out. Um, Is he done grading well too? He just had that one little spurt. David, Mayo? yeah. Well, I think he got like dumped as soon as he finished grading well. Like he didn't mm. have opportunity to grade well again. Um, but I, I, so I get why you draft Jamin Davis, but I do think it's a a bit of a reach, and b again we're reaching this point where it's like. Is it like, does it make any sense to draft linebackers in the first round? Because they're all getting torched. Like it's just I'm not sure it's a position that you can well, find a first round impact player. Not even this year, but like rely on it I generally. This again, again, yeah, that's I, three times now. I view it similar to tight end. If the if the rest of the league is not good at a particular position, and you are, that's an advantage. That's a yes. that's inherently an advantage. If you have a Kyle Pitts and you're one of four right. teams so that if, have if one, Kyle Pitts is sitting here, I'm like oh, the, the linebacker Kyle Pitts is sitting here. Okay, now you can sell me on this. That's that might be Micah Parsons, by the way. If Maybe. you're talking about Dallas, but it's not. It's probably not Jamin Davis, or at least there's not the degree of evidence that yeah, there is that it's Jamin Davis. But you're still talking. You're talking about a team that has done so, such a good job reshaping their entire secondary reshaping their entire roster because two years ago one of the worst rosters in the nfl now you're looking at a secondary that has kendall fuller and william jackson on the outside uh, the other guy that they add is benjamin st juiced a monster corner at yeah. six foot three 202 32 and you know plus arm length 87th percentile there freaky three cone yeah you know what's funny is that i I was wa I'm watching him on film and I'm like, man, he does not move laterally well. I hate when it doesn't like <laughs> looks bad laterally on tape on, but sometimes it's a technique thing, not a right. an athleticism thing. So I think there's there's things to tidy up technique wise, but having an incredible three cone and twenty yard shuttle both over the 90th, 90th percentile at six foot three, 
I mean, Kevin King also did that, but still, it's not that easy to do at that size. So that's well worth the uh, you know a shot in the third round. Yeah, and I, I was mocking them, um, Rashad Bateman, a lot in the first round because I think they did still need to sort of attack that second starting position with Curtis Samuel, more of a slot guy and a, um, a complimentary piece. Find a guy that can be on the outside, win vertically, give you another threat opposite Terry McLaurin. And they didn't obviously take Bateman, but I think like I wasn't as in love with Deami Brown as a lot of people, but to get him where they got him, pick number 82, like he can definitely come in and uh, fill like that kind of complimentary role, even if, even if he isn't as complete a receiver as Bateman is. I, I like that pick a lot. Deami can get down the field, man. He, he's well, good that's get... almost all he's done in yeah, his college I know. career. He had ADOT is over 18, the average depth of target. That's what he did. But I'm saying he gets off press all right. Plays a little faster, I think, than he was in the four fours. He, you know, he's got some speed. He's like decent at everything. He just didn't wow me at anything. Yeah, I didn't think he was great. He's not a great like if you made him into a possession type receiver and had to sell underneath routes. I, I don't, I don't see it with him. But once again, well-rounded receiving core. McLaurin, Samuel, throwing Adam Humphreys in there. See if Gandy Golden can be as good as you thought he could be. Mm. He was always going to be a, a bit of a gamble, yeah, but a, a, a good one. And then Diami. A project, yes, yeah. not a gamble. Do you want to get to uh, your takedown of the Cheeseman? Yeah, I mean, look, the football drafted team... drafted a long snapper in the sixth round, Cameron Cheeseman out of Michigan. Look, he's not as good as the other long snappers. And listen, most people, and by most people, I mean all people, do not have long snapping data, accuracy data. Where, they don't. Like, look, we can all look at a long snapper, but are you charting where that ball goes? The accuracy no. within? PFF is. We, we are here at PFF. So look. when Cameron Cheeseman came off the board... As a long snapper in the sixth round, PFF Steve over there dove right into the database provided by the good people on the data team and fairly well torched them for, for making the Cheeseman pick. Yeah. I, I don't have his... Um, it was 80-something percent, which is not good. Right. I don't have his snap-to-touch numbers. Oh, the snap-to-touch numbers, no. Yeah, that's a factor as well. But he was the second long snapper off the board. And look, I, I liked a lot of the football teams. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he's getting an accurate snap back really quickly. It, maybe it's really fast. Right. Yeah, and then you can get it down in time, and it's okay. <laughs> but uh, Cheeseman uh, didn't snap last year in 2000. Did he opt out last year? I don't know. Eight long snap. Um, but in 2019, <laughs> he was only 84% accurate on his punts. Yeah. Perfect on field goals and extra points. Mm. But in 2018, two inaccurate field goals and extra points. Uh, the dude from Bama was like 90 for 90 last year, field yeah. goal, extra point. And he was 94% on his long snaps on punts look you gotta, um, so you don't want to miss any of your short snaps you got to sit out the year and train for the combine like for, he must have got to get 12 months training for training in for this nfl gig i apologize to the millions of listeners here though i did not research why cheeseman didn't have any snaps last year mm -hmm. but uh, he didn't so i had to go back to his 18 and 19 data so two inaccurate short snaps in those years did, Sam's typing. Well, I'm just googling it now just to make sure it wasn't Cheeseman like a hideous medical problem Ouch. that we're mocking or something. You oh, know? shoot! Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Please do that. We have no producers here to cut anything that I say. Too, <laughs> so. it's just us solo in the studio. Anyway, this I said I have disastrous consequences. I declared I'm out on Cheeseman. You did. You did. You were out snapper. on the cheese. The other guy, Bama guy. Where's the other? Uh, where'd he go? Let's do some research here. <laughs> This, this is, is great content. It this really is, is. This is really good. Anyway, Cheeseman, second long snapper off the uh, to be drafted this weekend. Cameron Cheeseman, aspiring dentist. Were they? I mean, that's just a red flag right there. It's another red flag. Can't have that kind of outside interest. You want to be one of the top thirty-two long snappers in the world. You can't be. You, you know, can't be going to dentistry school. You can't. You know, Zach Diossi, 
he put he had financial goals. Mm. He's over at Goldman Sachs right now, but he waited till he retired. Yeah, or like you know? off-season internships. You know, you yeah, can't yeah, do yeah. a medical degree during long He did snapping. do that. I think he did. Yeah, Zach. Maybe Zach was a little distracted. Maybe that's why he didn't grade all that well at his PFF grades. <laughs> Zach, if you're listening, congrats on a great career. Just retired last year, 13. Uh, or oh, before wow. last season. Uh, and Cheeseman, this is amazing. Uh, people always ask me, is it Cheese Man or Cheese Min? And I'm like, I think it's Cheese Min. But yeah, people just call me Cheese. <laughs> and I'm out on cheese. No, no, no. And, and she, you might be back in after this. Oh, okay. And Cheeseman notes that the fun doesn't stop there since his first name means shrimp in Spanish. So, yeah, it's shrimp. Oh, yeah, Cameroon. Yeah, yeah, Cameroon. Shrimp Cheeseman is my name, he said. Shrimp Cheeseman. Yeah. And I've never seen anybody else spell it that way. And well, I can bl- never get a keychain in a gift shop. Well, go blue. Shrimp Cheeseman. <laughs> can't, get a, can't get a keychain. All right, I'm back in on cheese. <laughs> Hey, can we get Mike Ryder to change that football team draft grade to an A from an A minus? Can we get that done, please? There's nobody here. It's just us again. Yeah, yeah but if I all right, you're chat right. loud enough. You think they'll hear? Well, look at that. We were quick and to the point on the NFC West. Congrats, Westerners, in the NFC well, here we go. East. Uh, a native of New Albany, Ohio, so he's local. And he's a local guy? Uh, Cheeseman and his family weren't in a position to pay out-of-state tuition, and with the added uncertainty due to the pandemic, he decided to forego a final season to train for the NFL from home. Here we go. Which obviously worked out great. Oh, he got drafted I'm in the sixth round. Him. I think there was a, there actually may have been a video on how, was it him or the Bama guy? So one of the long snappers was really excited to get drafted. <laughs> I'm sure they both were, but... Um, this is a long article about the cheese. I mean, just think, cheese, the long snapper... Drafted 26 spots behind Tom Brady. Ah, now here we go. Look, to to our credit, I guess, uh, the Cheeseman agrees with us. Last line of this article. Long snapping is unique. You have to be perfect. All right, that's not even him. That's Casper, whoever he is. He's been introduced somewhere early in the article. Friendly ghost. Read. Whatever. That's the expectation, and it's unachievable, but you can keep working towards it. You can. Cheeseman has further to go to get to perfection than the Bama guy. That's going to do it for us today. On the PFF NFL podcast, remember, pff.com is where you get 30% off all your PFF subscriptions. Draft30 is the promo code. Draft30, 30% off. I don't know when Austin Gale is going to turn off this promo code, so do it now. Nobody knows. Any day this week, this thing's going away, so get your 30% off. It'll help you for this year, next year, all your fantasy needs. It's all there. Two divisions down, six to go. Check us out. We're looking at Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. For more PFF NFL podcast, also keep sending those screenshots. PFF NFL podcast, PFF NFL daily, and the whole deal. Why are you sending me? What are you sending me? I just thought you might like to le- read the Cheeseman article. Check out the Cheeseman article. Just search Cheeseman uh, ESPN, and you'll see Shrimp Cheeseman. The article. Please. Chris Collinsworth just sent us a nice note saying how good we did this weekend. So um, the boss is proud of us. It's now time to go to sleep hmm. after 24 hours now actually it's time to go coverage. in there and, and see if i remembered how to turn this off if and this send it didn't record i'm going to be very upset oh it's definitely recorded you can see that on the screen there the question is am i going to be able to stop it recording and then send it to somebody so that it gets somewhere after this that's the the unknown here if you're if you're listening to this podcast mm-hmm. sam was successful thanks for everybody to everybody for tuning in i'm out wave sam